Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. In a world that is so often only focused on what we look like, the importance of who we really are on the inside is all too often forgotten. This might sound a little bit odd or out there, but the health of our souls, who we are, is so important for our living. Jesus was clear on this when he said in the New Testament book of John, If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what makes a soul healthy? Mindy Calaguire is the founder of Soul Care. She seeks to help people restore health to their souls and has written a number of books offering practical and spiritual tools to help us thrive in life. Mindy is here in Australia with the Willow Creek Association. Mindy, welcome to Open House. Well, thank you. Glad to be with you. It's great to talk. As I said, we never really talk much about our souls. How do you describe them? What kind of form of words would you use to help us picture what our souls are? Yeah, it's it's a very elusive thought. You know, at the same time, we often talk about all kinds of different things that are soulful or soulish, but we don't get very specific about it. Yes. And when we try to understand it from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective, you quoted Jesus. Uh, he also uh, had some things to say about the soul, and probably the best way to think about the soul from a biblical standpoint is that it's inextricably woven with what we think of as our life. So all different elements of personhood, our thoughts, our emotions, our physical well-being, even the way we relate to one another that's distinctly us, all those elements of our personhood are really uh, woven together in what the Bible was, you know, had a much bigger picture in mind than what we often think of as the soul, if we think of it at all. So, um, yeah, it's a much more robust idea. And so because it's connected to all those different areas of our life, or really all those areas of our life emerge from the soul, it matters so very much that our souls stay in a place of thriving, uh, which is, of course, the invitation of the gospel. It's not necessarily just a Christian idea. I find it very revealing that even Bart Simpson considers his soul. (laughs) He sold his soul, I remember, on The Simpsons for one dollar. The thing was, he was very unhappy about just getting a buck for his soul. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's true. Yeah, I think uh, because God has made us as spiritual beings, uh, no matter where one person is in their belief specifically about Jesus, uh, I think all of humanity uh, understands themselves to have a spiritual dimension. And and so uh, what we do with that spiritual dimension is often what we think of as spirituality and things like that. So you're absolutely right. Bart Simpson probably thinks about his soul just as much as anybody else. And the health of our soul, you say, is measurable or can be shaped? It can be shaped. Um, you know, measurable is a, a, a tricky word, but I think it can be discerned. We, we can begin to assess and understand how healthy our soul is, but it's not like we can look at some little gauge somewhere that, that shows the, the solometer uh, and how it's actually doing. Mm. I find that we have to look at symptoms that emerge from other areas of our life that all point back to the soul's well-being. And so often, uh, you know, we think of those things uh, sort of at the periphery of our awareness. Um, I can better sense when my emotions feel particularly 
vulnerable or I'm easily angered or I, I get very, very hopeless in a particular situation. Or I might be aware of physical fatigue that just does not go away. That's kind of a soul weariness, but I feel it in my body. Uh, we also know relationally when we get into seasons of what I would think of as soul neglect, when, we've, when we haven't nurtured that well-being of our soul, when uh, interpersonally we're, we're, just, we're really critical, we're hyper-judgmental, we find it difficult to accept others or ourselves. And, and so the, the, the deprivation that really is, is at the core, that our soul's beginning to, to shrivel, as it were, <laughs> and, and, and lose some of its life, it shows up. The evidence of that center of us getting a little weakened is that it shows up in our relationships, in our work, in our ability to think well and focus. And, and so, it, so often we, we focus on all those areas. We think, oh, how do I fix my critical, angry spirit, or how do I fix my darker emotions? And, and we don't maybe think, I know I never did, I never thought that some of what the things I was experiencing on the exterior really were driven by what was going on in the deepest places well within inside. You know, your introduction, you talked about the difference between what, is it, what we appear to be versus what we really are. And we're, we're easily deluded into thinking that outside appearances are the essence, and in fact, nothing could be further from the truth. So what was it in your life? when and how you came to understand mm. the reality, the existence of the soul, what makes it healthy, what uh, makes it not healthy. Yeah, yeah. I think in my growing up tradition, I grew up in a mostly in a faith community, in a Christian background, and so we would talk about the soul, but the only time you talked about it was sort of, if it was, you know, pardon the old language, but saved or not, right? Yes. So is it saved or is it not saved? And that kind of language would have been the only time anybody talked about a soul. And, and really what we meant by that was, had you at some point entered into a relationship with God? But then once that relationship with God began, there was never any discussion about your soul anymore. We talked about other things, but not that. And uh, and so I was uh, very involved in uh, life and ministry and uh lived in the eastern coast part of the of the U.S. in Boston, and my husband and I were involved in a, um, a faith community, a church in that area, trying to um, really connect with people the message of, of Jesus. And, and yet, my, my life, even in the midst of things that you would think, oh, that must be a wonderful thing to do, and it must be so life-giving, it was actually quite stressful. And uh, and much of the additional layers of stress came because I didn't nurture that interior life. But I didn't know it at that time. I just kept pushing and pushing and achieving. You know, I, I had tremendous success uh, academically and success in the marketplace and in other places. And so when I moved over into ministry, I just kept doing what I had always done, which was work really, really hard and make sure you take care of everything else yes. before you take care of yourself. I had what I think of as a bit of an implosion of my own soul for a while, where uh, everything in my life came to a screeching halt because of some physical, um, really I had a severe case of vertigo and was kind of sidelined from my life for several months. And I was pregnant, I had a two-year-old child, and I was 
really in this kind of entrepreneurial ministry venture, I was doing a lot of the work that happened behind the scenes and, and leading lots of different kinds of groups and was just way too overextended. And it was through that time of forced rest that that verse that you mentioned at the very beginning, John fifteen five, really became impressed on my spirit that I felt God was saying, you know, Mindy, here's what I made available to you and to all of my people as a way of life. If you remain in me, if you stay meaningfully connected to me, uh, I can be your source of life and you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think, I just sense God saying, I think he has a lovely sense of humor. You know, Mindy, what part of nothing didn't you understand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But you had to stop for all that to happen. And our lives are so busy, we have too much to do, not enough time to do it. It is a matter of stopping and uh, arresting that busyness. Yeah. I mean, the way I think of it now, having been through that, and then that forced rest really was a launching pad for me into a different way of life, where I began to learn how to prioritize those things, no matter how busy the rest of my life is. And and that really takes a reorientation of your priorities, and uh, and and really it, it it requires a recognition of of how how really desperate we are for for God to make it in this life. And all you can be doing all that busy stuff and drive yourself further and further, working to the bone, the sort of law of diminishing returns. You you work harder and harder for fewer and fewer uh, results, and it's just exhausting and. You know, we all wonder in those lonesome moments: Is this really worth it? Is it? Is there anything else? It can't. It can't just be this. And I think that's what Jesus came to tell us: Is it isn't just that. But in order for us to receive that life, it's kind of like, you know, a scuba diver. You know, here in Australia, you guys have awesome scuba diving opportunities. <laughs> but you don't have to work too hard to convince a scuba diver that they ought to keep connected to their oxygen source. And when we start to think about our connection with God as a connection to a source of life, you know, it's not like there's only one way to do it. There's only one way to stick a, you know, an oxygen mask on your face when you're scuba diving, but there's a gazillion ways to connect with God moment by moment throughout the day. And those are the things that care for our souls. Those are the things that connect us back to Jesus as the vine, that allow us to move through days having greater sense of energy and greater sense of willingness to know when we need to step back and say, you know what, that's past what God's asking me to do. And there might be people who need or think they need me to do it, but I just need to step back and, um, and honor the limits of who I really am. So it's a matter of connection but also Absolutely. an attitude of being receptive to God? Yeah, I think that's another thing that I learned through the hard uh, experience that I went through, is that even if we're a person who is a follower of God, and maybe we read the Bible and we might attend church, oftentimes, and it's very deep, there are places in our souls, in the depths of our being, where actually we're still sort of resistant to God. And a kind of an indicator for that in many of our lives is when kind of we go through the life, kind of going through the motions of the Christian life, but we're really not experiencing change, we're not seeing growth, we're not feeling alive, we're just sort of going through the motions. And, you know, when that happens, I think it's, we, we just put ourselves in a very vulnerable place that 
we aren't living what God has made available to us, and we end up in, I mean, this is a separate issue, but we end up so misrepresenting the life of, of somebody who's deeply connected with God, and we wonder why the culture around us looks at Christians and thinks, well, what, how, how are you any different? <laughs> well, are you better? Yep. Well, I often think that. Why would you join this club? Um, exactly. Yes. On Open House, we're with Mindy Caliguire, the founder of Soul Care. I always really strive to be practical with these kind of things, and especially mm. in this arena. You've developed some very practical soul care pillars, you call them. Yes. Can you take yes. us through them one by one just quickly? Yeah, sure. These You should think of these as, as real practical ways or means of connection, right? So that's what we were talking about is mm. how do we reconnect to Jesus. And so the first of the pillars is really just about prayer, and some people get all awkward and worried that, am I praying the right way, or am I doing it? Really, prayer is just the language of our relationship with God. A prayer can be as naturally talking to God as you and I are talking to each other, or the way you would talk to a friend. And, and so that's how we certainly begin, and that's also how we deepen a relationship with God. We don't need to write out our prayers and make them official ahead of time. Uh, we can borrow from other ways of prayer that have been significant maybe in the church history, but uh, just an honest conversation with God is really what prayer is all about, and that is an instant moment of connection. Yes. So throughout the day we can pray. And uh, Anyway, so yeah, prayer is one. Another one that's a really practical thing is ways that we can engage with, with the Bible. Uh, sometimes it becomes the kind of thing that's nice to have around, and it makes a good, you know, coffee table book, and, and you carry it places, but we don't really open it and say, God, what do you have to say to me today? And it can be the smallest passage. I know when my children were quite young, and I felt like, oh, I never have time to read my Bible. I'm running around after three small boys, and and I would leave it out sort of somewhere where I would run into it. And, and you know how each day of the month, most months, has like 30 or 31 days in it? And the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters in it. And I would just go, all right, let's see, what's today's? And so if you're in the middle of a crazy, busy life, that can be a really practical way that you move to Scripture. Because the thing about reading the Bible, it's, it's not just like any some dusty book that's a couple thousand years old. The Scripture has some very unique qualities about it, and one of which is that God speaks through it. And I know that sounds kind of mysterious or weird, but if we move, uh, you know, actually open the pages and, and, and maybe we go through a study or we're reading through one of the accounts of Jesus' life in one of the Gospels, but whatever we choose to do, the, you know, the book of Hebrews has this idea in it that tells us that the Word of God is living and active and Boy, we need that in our lives. I I need to encounter something that's living and active if my soul's going to be reconnected back yes. to God as my source of life. A third uh, of those soul care pillars is um, this is very important is spiritual friendships. These are the kinds of friendships that move beyond you know a fun ordinary friendship which we all I hope enjoy. But really, where we we're deepening a friendship with an eye to where is God at work in my life, and how is this friendship, how can it help me grow? Sometimes we pray together, sometimes we help uh, each other see areas where where we're struggling maybe and, and bring that to God together, and, and it becomes a furnace, really, the relationship becomes a furnace for, for the deeper journey, mm. for talking authentically about the areas of our life maybe that 
that need growth. And this requires very high levels of openness and trust and confidentiality and, and authenticity, which we all have natural resistance to, right? Because there's that image we're trying to keep up. But in certain places, we must learn to let go of that and let other people into the deeper places of our lives, even if it feels messy and awkward. And that's why I wrote one of the books on spiritual friendship in particular, because I know how hard it is. I know how deeply I resisted those kinds of relationships. I thought I was supposed to have it all together. Um, But I have found that those kinds of friendships, uh, that's why it's one of the pillars. It, It can be one of the most primary ways that God restores life and healing to my soul. And yet with that, also another pillar you suggest is solitude and silence. Yes. Yeah, the other end of the spectrum, right? (laughs) There are sometimes, if you look at the pattern of Jesus' life, where here he is, the God-man, perfectly God, perfectly human, and, and he took time to retreat even though there were tons of people that wanted healing, tons of people that were hanging on his every word as a teacher. But he knew he had to build those times of solitude into his life in order for, I think, the health of his soul. And we need that no less. And and especially in today's, as you said, the driven, busy world, we have to just walk away from it all every once in a while. Sometimes it's a daily little bit of solitude, but sometimes we need to carve out that time to... You know, instead of going to a mall and putzing around in stores, we think, no, I probably should go for an hour in a nature preserve or I'll just walk in the park or go to a local library and just take time, not necessarily to read, but just to be alone with God. Yeah. You also suggest soul searching. Hmm. Explain to me what you mean by that. Yeah, that really comes out of a, an ancient spiritual practice that it was known as examen or self-examination. Uh, but a modern language around it that's really based in the, the Psalms, I use the word soul-searching, and it comes from Psalm 139 that says a prayer of, of King David saying, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. So it's, it's a cry to God to help me see what's really going on inside, a soul-searching kind of prayer. But then through that to say, God, lead me out of here. Um, sometimes we feel so much maybe angst or frustration when we see what's going on inside, that we try to go fix it. And I think the the real important part of soul-searching is to stay in that place where God may be revealing some things about our anxiety or why we're so driven, and not go try to fix it, but stay in that place, feel what it feels like to go, wow, that is true about me, and then allow God to lead us to a different place. So, yeah, that's another one that's a little not often thought of, I think, uh-huh. in the, no. in modern life, and was the focus of one of the other real practical books, because I think people need help with that. Yeah. The other one, finally, is simplicity, yeah. which we'd all love, yes. but again, in the kind of world in which we live, good luck with that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, good luck with that. I think I think the, the, the task for us, you know, I, I've learned that you guys uh, here in Australia, you don't have one of the magazines. You can look online at their website. But there was a magazine in the States called Real Simple. And I asked in Brisbane, I think we were, and, and they said that that's not in publication here. But realsimple.com is their website. And it, it's a completely kind of uh, modern-day take on simplicity, but with a completely godless perspective. And and really, it says that it's all about making your life easier or more manageable. 
And I think anyone who has a serious relationship with God knows that God invites us to be engaged in the troubles of this world and to serve our communities, not to be, you know, sitting on a lounger eating bonbons all the time. <laughs> and so I think the biblical view of simplicity for us is to realize actually a deeper danger than just a busy, overcrowded schedule. The deeper danger is is actually duplicity. It, the enemy of simplicity biblically in our in our lives is when we start um, sort of fracturing off different versions of ourselves wow. rather than living out of the true self and and that may sound sort of psychobabble or whatever, but how that works in ordinary life is when i 'm confronted with maybe an insecurity that I feel like i 'm not enough of whatever of a mom or not enough of a of a leader in my organization. And I start to adopt some behaviors that are are a fake version of myself, and and so I cram more things into my schedule to try to make me look more important or busier or more in demand or whatever way we dysfunction around uh, creating different images of ourselves, then life gets horribly unnecessarily complex. And we start living into other people's visions of our lives or other people's demands or our own insecurities, as I've mentioned, or our own egos and ambitions. And it's not really us. It's some version of ourselves that we are making our lives insane. And so the work of simplicity is actually deep, deep, deep spiritual work of getting down to the core of who has God made me to be, what is true of my life these days, and how do the external things of my life become a reflection of what is internally true? And also understanding what your identity is. Absolutely. Is your well, we identity in what yeah. other people think of you? Oh, that's a dangerous road, right? Yeah. That is a very dangerous road and so lonely. And at the, at the core of living a life that somebody else has sort of laid out for you is sort of a deep rejection of who God's made you to be. Yes. So there's so much freedom in the journey to simplicity, um, which, again, that's why there's only four of, the, of these six pillars. There's only four books that I've written so far, and, and simplicity is another one of them because, again, I, I just think this is a deep work. It deserves our focus and attention. And, and again, the cry, can't you imagine the cry of God's heart that he says, I've done so many things that you would have life. Why are you living so bound up and so heavily burdened, and and sometimes the reason is just because we don't know who we are and we don't know how to live the yeah. life God would have us live. Mindy, it's one thing for you to be so powerfully and obviously authentically formed like this and so mm. deeply. Why are you so passionate and dedicated to helping other people understand mm. the importance of our souls and nurturing them? Well, first of all, like anyone who's been through a severe trauma, um, often that catapults us into helping others. You see this in a variety of ways, and so that's true in my case as well. But I think a, a deeper reason why is that I, I look across our country and my own community, and then I look around the world as I've had chances and opportunities to surf in other countries, and I it kind of gets back to what we were talking about earlier. I believe the the message of Jesus is such a vitally important message for our world today, but so many of the leaders of ministries 
and uh, those who maybe volunteer in churches or who lead churches end up themselves being just like I was, so very committed and so very passionate about the cause of Christ in our world, wanting to bring restoration and, and, and healing and wonderful things to their communities and to their countries, and yet they're just dying inside. And, and then how on earth can they bring any much deep health, nurture into the lives of their congregants when they too are struggling. And so I feel that God has brought me to um, the Willow Creek Association now. I I had been doing work with Soul Care initially and and then also now with the Willow Creek Association in the United States. And then here, uh, I'm here on a trip with them, as you know, um, in Australia going to four different cities to work with church leaders in order to bring this message to them and to and to help them believe again. I mean, every one of them, that's the reason they got into ministry in the first place, is yes. they know that only Jesus has life, and they've lived it, they've tasted it, they've known it. But sometimes the demands of ministry can be so overwhelming that just like anyone else, they struggle with identity, with boundaries, with living a simple Life And so it's been wonderful to bring that to leaders, but that is why I would travel so far, and, and I feel humbled and honored to feel that my story and the things that God has brought into my life are things that would be helpful to others. Oh, I think it's tremendously important work that you do, both mm-hmm. in terms of ministry, men and women in ministry, but also people who've been listening tonight. Mindy Caliguire, I'm so glad to uh, speak with you. Thank you so much indeed for joining us on Open House. You're so welcome. Have a good rest of your evening. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.